0: Good morning, everybody. So we're going to uh, be looking at another encounter of Jesus, carrying on with our series um, in the uh, Gospels. And today, if you've got your Bibles, devices, we're going to start in Luke 10, verse um, 25. And we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan this morning. So I'm just going to read it first, and then uh, we'll get cracking. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this encounter with Jesus, I don't know if you remember way back in, I think it was January or February when Ian spoke to us about the parable of the the young rich ruler. And this encounter with Jesus starts the same with the same question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But that's pretty much where the similarity ends. The rich young ruler, if you remember, he earnestly wanted to know how he could inherit eternal life. But the lawyer, the expert in the law in today's passage, was looking for a way to catch Jesus out and trick him into heresy. And the parable of the lost Samaritan, it's probably the best known parable, I would say, maybe in the Gospels. And it's so well known that the actual meaning of the word Samaritan has actually changed from when Jesus told the parable to today. We've even got an organization today called the Samaritans who help people in need when they've got nowhere else to turn to. And without really saying too much or thinking too much about it, we could easily say that this parable generally means we should go and help people we see in a ditch. Maybe take it a bit further and say, We can conclude that racial and religious prejudice is bad. We should make sure we don't make the same mistake as the priest and Levite. And whilst all that's correct, we should always help people in need. We shouldn't be prejudiced against others, not the same as us. But as with most encounters with Jesus, the meaning from the parable is actually more challenging and far deeper for us, which is a shame because that would have been the end of the sermon. So... (laughs) So Luke starts, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't know about you, but something in me loves that this is a lawyer. And just in case there are any lawyers here this morning, and before I offend you, one of my best friends is a lawyer. And if if we're actually honest, we we can all be a little bit like the lawyer in this encounter with Jesus. We all consider ourselves experts in this or that, don't we? If we're we're honest. So, without offending anyone, I love it's a lawyer in this encounter with Jesus. You can't get anyone better. If anyone's going to be able to catch Jesus out, it's going to be an expert in the law, a lawyer. They're going to be able to argue, cross-examine him, trick him, make him get caught out. But as he so often does, Jesus immediately disarms the attempt to catch him, catch him out by replying with a question. So Jesus says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Fantastic. Fantastic the lawyer, rather than try and catch Jesus out, has actually answered his own question. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. The lawyer must have been thinking to himself, hang on, surely I'm the one who's supposed to be asking the questions and trying to catch Jesus out. how, How am I giving an answer for the question that I've asked? And I don't know whether you noticed, but straight away here, the lawyer suddenly change, changes from the prosecution to the defense. He goes into massive self-defense mode. And then maybe he, he's going to try and have one last effort at trying to catch Jesus out. Maybe a bit of both. But it says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And as we've just Seen there, very quickly the lawyer has changed from trying to win an argument to trying to justify himself. And that really challenges me and it's been challenging me recently. I don't know about you, but we know what God's law is. It's written in the Bible. We know what Jesus tells us to do. It's written in the Bible, in the Gospels. And when we're going through our ordinary days, doing the ordinary stuff, How often do I, how often do we ask, who is my neighbor? And challengingly, how often do I and do we come up with reasons why that particular person isn't my neighbor? We'll come back to that later. Jesus then goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan to answer the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? And this is where the meaning of the word Samaritan has changed from back then to today but the situation in which Jesus sets the parable hasn't changed. It's still the same today. The Jews, the priest and the Levite in the parable are still Israel today. The Samaritan is someone from Palestine, and the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans has gone on for thousands of years and is still going on today, the same as, as it was in Jesus' day. And both sides claim At the heart of it, they're the true inheritors of the promises to Abraham and Moses. So because of that, both sides consider that they are the true possessors of the land of Israel. And even today, few Israelis would travel from a direct route from Galilee to Jerusalem because it would have gone straight through the West Bank where the Palestinians live and they would have been at risk of violence. And likewise, when Jesus was telling this parable, back when he was alive, the Jews, as Jesus was, would actually travel down the Jordan Valley to Jericho before turning to Jerusalem. It was, much, it was much safer, but it wasn't completely safe. It had many twists and turns, and people were often ambushed by robbers, and this is where Jesus sets the parable. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. The lonely traveler was half dead in a ditch. You couldn't tell if he was dead or alive. And the priest and the Levite basically didn't want to make themselves impure by touching what could have been a corpse better that they remained aloof, preserving their own purity, putting that above God's highest and most important law of love. And that, <laughs> that's another challenge, isn't it, for me, and I'm sure it is for you too. When I come across someone in need, when we come across a need, how often do we do nothing thinking someone else will look after that? I don't want to get involved I don't want to get my hands dirty. I'm too busy. Do I ever even justify not helping someone in need because I'm too busy doing something else for God, even dare I say it? And I I just pray that God's law of love and the compassion that Jesus showed time and time again would be always at the most prominent in our thinking when we go about our ordinary lives and it would really motivate us to actually step in and get our hands dirty. So Jesus continues, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And I don't know if you noticed there, but Jesus questioned, who is my neighbor? Sorry, the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer to that question don't really match up. And I think that's probably sort of the point. The lawyer was looking to see who counts as my neighbour. He's looking for qualification, for justification. What do I need to do? In his mind, God is the God of Israel only and his neighbours are only the Jews. But for Jesus, the God of Israel is also the God of grace for the whole world. And a neighbor is anybody in need in the world. John 3.16, we know that so well, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves all the world, including Israel, and anyone who believes in him, including the Jews, Shall have eternal life. And at the end of the parable, Jesus asks a question which is the opposite of the lawyers. He doesn't ask who the Samaritan thought his neighbor was when he was walking along, but he actually asks who ended up being a neighbor to the Samaritan and to the man lying in the ditch. Who, by their actions, actually ended up being the neighbor. Of the guy who had been robbed. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The lawyer was looking for legal justification for what he did, for his actions. But Jesus brings something so much bigger. God has compassion on all, on every single person. And his grace and love is for everyone, without exception, the good and the bad. So really, as nice as it would be, it's not actually as simple as go and do the same. But it's go and do the same to anyone who is in need, regardless of who they are, where they come from, what they believe, or what they have done. And this is, this is really challenging, isn't it? Who is my neighbor? Who is God sending us to? Who are the people in our ordinary, everyday lives that God is sending us to bring the compassion and love of Jesus? I don't know about you, but if I'm really truthfully honest, I've got a nice, comfortable idea about who that is. If I'm honest, if we're honest, could we be more like the lawyer, the priest, and the Levite in this parable than the Samaritan? And of course, God is and does send us to the people that we are comfortable with, our our peer group, the people that we feel at ease with. Of course he does. But he also sends us to everyone. And especially those in need and don't have it all together. Especially those who are despised by other people where other people walk on the other side of the road. Especially, and dare I say it, people that we might not even like very much. And now we get to the deepest meaning of the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. Do you know This is the first parable Jesus told, just before he was also going to walk the very same road from Jerusalem, from Jericho to Jerusalem. And like we've said, there was hatred between the Jews and the Palestines back then, between the, there was hatred between the Romans and the Jews, and you don't have to look very far today to see that there is still hatred between a lot of people. But as followers and disciples of Jesus, in reading the Gospels, we can find that we're not called to live in confrontation with anyone, but we're called to be children of peace. In the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to be peacemakers, not just keeping it, but actually bringing about peace. This is a new kingdom come. Jesus brought and started a new kingdom, a new way of living. And as we read about the church in Acts, the early church, the very first Christians, and and also other secular historic sources, we see this new kind of kingdom life lived time and time again. Not in confrontation with our neighbours, not in confrontation with the people in power, but in peace. So that's a challenge for us, isn't it? And the challenge is, do we use the revelation that we have from God of his amazing love, his massive, abundantly poured out grace on us to boost our own sense of security, a bit like maybe the priest and the Levite? Or do we recognize that God and Jesus, through the, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, call us and ask us and t- tell us to take this love compassion and grace out into the whole world, starting, and we don't even need to get big, just starting where we are. And this, I've got to be honest, this is probably one of the biggest challenges for me. How can we sit in comfort, justifying ourselves, Telling ourselves someone else will do it is someone else's problem when, and then watch most of the world lying half dead in a ditch. I find it really challenging. And thank God, we don't actually have to do it in our own strength. We don't actually have to walk out in our own strength. As followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we get the amazing privilege to be filled with his spirit, his Holy Spirit, and everywhere we go, every day of the week, in our ordinarily lives, Holy Spirit, Jesus, God the Father, they're with us, closer than we can ever possibly imagine. And we carry his love, his grace, right inside of us. And this is what we're exploring and stepping into in our gospel communities. Small, group, small groups of people Families, all together in community, doing the ordinary stuff of life together, seeking God and committing ourselves to try and live the life that Jesus calls us to do on mission. In John 14:12, it says, "Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater the things than these because I am going to the Father." Jesus says, Look what I've been doing. Look what I've done. Look what I have done. Now, go and do the same. And because he's going to the Father, we get the Holy Spirit and we can do even greater things. We make it so complicated, (laughs) don't we? And the truth is, we don't actually get to judge and decide when or where we bring Jesus. We're called, to take, we're called to take Jesus everywhere, at all times, in all circumstances, and all situations. No one deserves God's mercy. No one deserves God's grace. And that includes us. We've messed up. I'm sure we'll mess up again. And God's love and grace is for everyone, no matter who they are, What they have done, or even dare I say it, what they are doing. Let's keep it simple. It's amazing what a difference when we're in our ordinarily lives. uh, A "How are you? Is there anything I can help with?" can make. We try and make it so complicated where we try and look. Let's always be generous. If we know someone in physical need, let's offer practical help. If we know someone who's lonely, why don't we make time to be them, with them? Where there's conflict, let's make peace, even if we have to back down and seemingly lose. Let's always forgive and forget. Let's always love. Let's always offer mercy. Let's always bring grace after all. Look how much forgiveness, love, and grace God still abundantly lavishes on each of us every single day. So, who is my neighbor? Who is our neighbor? It's everyone. Including that awkward man in my street who no one else likes. True story. It's everyone I work with, all those people who make my job really difficult. It's that loud person in the pub who gets on everyone's nerves, that's me. (laughs) It's that weird guy in the tennis club who's a bit of a jobsworth. It's that person who hurt me last year. It's that homeless guy living on the streets. It's that lonely person who lives in my street who never sees anybody It's that person who just got sent to jail. It's absolutely everyone. And in case we wanted any more confirmation on who our neighbor is and what we're called to do, or maybe even a little... (sighs) Bit of healthy fear of God or motivation. In Matthew 25:31, Jesus says these words: "All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd sh- separates his sheep from the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, with all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, "Truly, I tell you, whatever you did, you did not do for one of the least of these; you did not do for me." Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That's pretty scary. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty scary, isn't it? think we make it so complicated when it's just so simple and it is just to go out not to procrastinate just get on go out take the love of God the peace of God the compassion of Jesus and not walk by not go someone else will do that and the thing is it's if we're really honest it's not actually that hard it would be hard if we were doing it in our own strength but we're not we get to do it with the Holy Spirit inside of us, who equips us, empowers us, and enables us to bring the love and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God right into the lives of the people that we spend our ordinary lives with. So, as Phil said, if you're not in a gospel community where we're trying to, together we're trying to walk out, what does it mean to be what Jesus has called us to be, how do we step out as families and a community on mission just to literally reach the streets that we live in? Then do come and see me me and Phil at, at the end and we'll be really happy for you to join us in one of our two gospel communities. We don't know what the end looks like. All we know is that we can't sit down and not do anything anymore. We've got to take that first step and we've just got to try and follow what Jesus is calling us to do. But the the joyful thing is, especially if you're a people person like me, we get to do it together. It's not a lonely thing. I feel like we should finish with Ephesians 2 or something, just uh, build ourselves. Actually, let's do that, because... um, And this is to, it's not to build ourselves up, not to build ourselves feel better, not to uh, dull down what Jesus is calling to do, but this is the truth of what we get to inherit and what we get to walk in when we give our lives to him, when we submit to him, when we call him Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing of Christ. For he chose us, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity and the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Jesus, in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, we were included in Christ when we heard the message of truth. know if there's anyone here this morning who's, I don't know how to put it really, but maybe struggled with feelings of unworthiness that how can God love me so much? How can I inherit what God has for me? Or maybe... get to partner with the Holy Spirit. So I think all that we can really do is submit ourselves to Jesus, submit ourselves to him and his, his lordship. And you know, what? I think we have to do that every day, which is why Jesus says daily, deny yourself and pick up your cross. So if you want, should we just stand together? Should we sort of resubmit ourselves? Should we ask the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do?